0: That is the song, The Letter, heard there by Joe Cocker the Great, and only Joe Cocker, originally released by a band called the Box Tops in 1967, The Letter. With that, I want to welcome you to another edition of a sermon from an empty room, and today we begin this five-week run that the lectionary hands us through the New Testament letter titled, First Thessalonians. Letters are an interesting thing we communicate in all sorts of ways we write letters we type letters we type emails we send texts we send memes we send emojis we send gifts maybe you communicate entirely through non-worded means i have friends that i can do that with just gifts just memes just emojis we're all set but i want us to think about this old school method Of writing a letter. Letters that are handwritten are few and far between. We might get them in a thank-you card or something like that, but it's rare that we get this long-form, handwritten, thought-out, unedited letter. This past week, we received a letter at the church. We get all kinds of mail here, uh, catalogs, uh, things that people sign us up for, you know, advertisements for communion cups, you name it. But this past week, for the first time in my 13 years here, we received a letter from someone uh, who was in prison. And there apparently is a program where they can reach out to churches and send letters in hopes that they would get a return, a response, something written from us to them as a means of encouragement. It was a very powerful letter to open, handwritten, with a pen, um, heartfelt, and just crying out for someone or some group of people to send encouragement his way. And I brought that into the office and I laid it on the desk and talked to the staff. I was like, this is the, this is the most um, heartbreaking letter I've ever received uh, here at this church. And I also... Uh, recall Jesus' words about how important it was to visit those and encourage those who were in prison. And so it only took about three or four seconds for Joel to say, I'll, I'll write him, and then here we go. Now we have a pen pal in a prison in our great state of Georgia. Letters are a powerful and interesting thing. And the New Testament is mostly letters. Most of the New Testament is mail Of the 27 books that we have in the New Testament, 18 of those are letters. If we get really picky and technical, there are seven letters within the book of Revelation, so we could add another seven to the list if we would like. But of the 27 books we have in the New Testament, 18 of them are letters, personal letters. And yet, we have them, which means that the framers of the New Testament saw that these letters were beneficial for the church at large. We have a saying for this in biblical studies where we, uh, we remind each other that the Bible was not written to us, not in 2020, but it certainly is written for us. And so with that, I want us to explore uh, together over the next several weeks this letter in the New Testament called First Thessalonians. It's pretty old. In fact, it might be the oldest Piece of Christian literature that we have written around the years 50 to 51 AD. This is Paul's first letter, and again, therefore, perhaps the oldest in the New Testament and the first piece of Christian correspondence that we have on record. It's quite remarkable. So when we open the book of Thessalonians, we are reading the very first breaths of Christian communication between people. Now, the letter itself was written to encourage this young congregation under great stress in the Greek city of Thessalonica now in ancient letter writing if you held this letter and most of the letters of the New Testament up against ancient Greco-Roman letters they look very similar in length they look very similar in structure Uh, they follow a pattern remember when you learned how to write an official letter in grade school or middle school well there was a certain way to write letters in the ancient world as well and the letters in the Bible are no different There's always a salutation, which we have uh, in this letter, and there's this thanksgiving portion that always follows the salutation. And with that, I want to read our text for the day. It comes from chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Here's the salutation. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. And now it moves into what is called the thanksgiving portion of the letter. He writes, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you, and this is so important, became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come the thanksgiving portion of the letter is so important because in that we get we get what's coming we get the outline perhaps, of what is to come in the letter. We also get this deeply personal uh, part of the letter where we learn about the relationship between the writer and the reader. Now, there's two central verses for us today, if you can have two things in the center. The first is verse 3 that says, remembering before our God your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. And then the second verse I want to focus on for a couple of minutes is verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers. Let's talk about the first one just for a moment. Uh, remembering before our God your work of faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Faith, love, and hope. This is a common triad for Paul. It appears in his letters throughout. Sometimes worded faith, hope, and love. But these three words formulate this very important triad, very common for Paul. And with each one of these, Paul offers a brief description of how they are, of what these realms are like. He says that faith is work. It's a work of faith. That Love is a labor, the labor of love, and that hope has a steadfast posture, the steadfastness of hope. When we think about faith, when we think about love and hope, these are the right words to describe them. Faith, of course, is work. Love, whatever it is, is labor-intensive. If you've ever loved someone or something, it's labor-intensive. And hope, hope does require a certain posture, a steadfastness to our lives. Now, we like to think that all the things of faith are simply handed to us, but they're not. We are all on a spiritual path that requires attentive and painstaking presence, And I would say in regards to faith, it doesn't get any easier. In regards to love, it doesn't get easier. In regards to hope, it doesn't get easier. The church has done a terrible disservice to people through the centuries by not being honest about how difficult all three of these things are, especially faith and how difficult something like the Bible really is. We've been very good at catchy statements and slogans about faith and life, but we all know that they don't always work. Most of them don't work. They get us through the day or through the moment, but we still come back around to the need to work out our faith and to labor through our love and to stay fast in our hope. The longer you follow Jesus, I would say that the more complicated the journey gets because Jesus requires imitation, Of his ways. That's a big theme in this letter and much of Paul's letters as well. And that's a hard road to travel to imitate Jesus, to grow in his ways. Just look at a photo of Mother Teresa and a photo of your favorite prosperity preacher side by side, and you'll see the difference immediately. The ways of Jesus, they're different, they're troubling, they're difficult. The ways of Jesus carve lines into your face. They make your eyes heavy. They make your heart bleed. It's difficult, and it doesn't get easier. And Paul champions these people, their work of faith, their trying, their labor of love. They're working at this. They're laboring over how they love one another and how they love their worlds and their neighborhoods and their towns. And their steadfastness of hope that somehow in the midst of great affliction and difficulty and uncertainty, there's still this glimmer of hope. And Paul says in verse 7 that they have become an example to all the believers because of this. Now, the word for example here is the Greek word tupos. And the meaning of that word is quite interesting. This is the primary meaning of that word. It means the mark of a hit or a strike to the body. It's the evidence of being damaged. It's the evidence of injury. Thomas would use the same word, one of the disciples of Jesus, he would use the same word uh, when talking about the marks on Jesus' hands, that he wanted to see the marks of the nails on the hands of Jesus because he didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. You've got to remember that story in the latter part of the Gospel of John where all the disciples are like, Thomas, he's, he's alive. I mean, he's hanging out with us. He's eating with us. We were talking with him, and Thomas is like, I don't buy it. Until I see the example, the two posts, the marks of the nails in his hands, until I see those, I will not believe. It's the the evidence of something having great impact on your life. And I would say that all of us are marked by something because life leaves all sorts of marks on us. The life of faith leaves marks on us as well. Our pursuit to love our neighbor marks us. It's difficult. And the pursuit of being hopeful in a time that can sometimes feel hopeless, it leaves marks on us. Paul says, let the marks and the scars of your life be the works of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. Life is going to mark you. The way that we live in our world is not isolated from being marked by it. It's going to mark you. And Paul says, let those marks be the work of faith and the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope. Be marked by these things, not by things like hatred or cynicism or hopelessness or anger. And this letter is written to a church it's very important to remember this. It's not written to an individual person. And so the implication here is this, that we, together, we become a people of faith and love and hope, and that our ways as a community, as a church family, that, that we might mirror the ways of Jesus. Because the individual, it's, it's not possible to live this way all of the time, but as a community, As a body of believers and seekers and even doubters, we can practice corporately the works of faith and the labors of love and the steadfastness of hope, that the general uh, consensus among the body is that these things are important to us and that the general outlook from the outsider looking in is that that community is focused on the works of faith and the labors of love and the steadfastness of hope not looking at the individual and judging the whole, but looking at the whole and how it impacts each of us as individuals. Our purpose here as a church is to be a people growing in the ways of Jesus, to imitate him in our relationships, in our faith, and in our mission in the world. And so we do that together, and we strive in our faith, in our love, and in our hope. Grace and peace, and may you experience the joy of seeing these things flourish in your life and in the lives around you in the days to come. Amen.